Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the sleep-in service. I'm glad that you're here. You are my people. I have jet lag, just got home from Israel, which means I have no filter whatsoever. This could go one of two ways. If you're a prayerful person, you can start praying now. That would be great. Also want to welcome those of you that are watching online. We're glad that you're here. We know over the summer, this is a great option for you to keep up with us. And so welcome to everybody who's watching at a computer. Before we start today, I'd like to have just a quick pastoral moment with the family of Christ the King to talk to you about something that happened and a couple weeks ago, it happened on a Saturday night. It also happened during this service. Over the past couple weeks, we've been dealing with some interruptions in our services. Uh, one was from a person who was intoxicated, another person who was struggling with mental illness. And I just wanted to talk as a family for a minute. I know those moments are awkward and they are troublesome. They're a little disconcerting and they're very, very distracting. I want you to know we take your safety very seriously at Christ the King, which is why we have a safety team here. You'll see them floating around. If you don't see them, it means they're doing an amazing job. We want you to feel very safe. We also pray. Yeah, you can clap for them. That's fine. That's cool. But I also want you to know our heart. We pray every single week that God would send us the hurting, the broken, the lost, and the wounded. And it should never surprise us when God says yes and they actually show up. So in those moments, I want to say this, in those moments when they happen, I appreciate that you pray, that you're calm, and that you support our team as we do the best we can to help and protect and shepherd those moments. I wish I could tell you it would never happen again, but I can't. But I can tell you this, whenever that happens, the God of heaven is here and he's helping us be Jesus as best we can in those moments. So I appreciate that. Now, I can't stall anymore, so let's dive in with both feet. 
Someone asked me, Grant, why in the world are you preaching Genesis 19? My only response is because it comes right after Genesis 18, and that's what Lem preached last week. I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture to you, unedited, straight from the pages of my Bible. This is one of the most controversial stories in all of Scripture, but I believe the Bible put it there for a reason that God wanted us to pay attention to this. And we're going to start back in Genesis 18 with these words. It says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Pastor Lem talked about that last week. And then we branched into the fact that what happens is Abraham steps up and says, God, are you sure you want to judge two cities? And a negotiation begins. Abraham comes to God and says, says, well, what if I could find 50 righteous people? Will you change your mind? What about 45? What about 40? What 35? What about 30? God, what, if I can find 10 righteous people in that city, will you spare it? It's a negotiation. And some of us wonder why in the world is Abraham asking for that kind of grace and that kind of mercy? And then it gets even more confusing. And I'm going to read an entire chapter of scripture to you. I hope you have your seatbelt on. Two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the city gate. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside from your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the city square. But he insisted so strongly that they go with him and enter his house. He prepared a meal for them. He baked bread without yeast. He ate. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them, shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And now I'm going to read a verse, and I want to tell you on the front end, it makes me sick to my stomach every time I've had to read it this weekend. Look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. You can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men. They've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of the way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien. Now he wants to play judge of us. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out, pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. Two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here. We're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against this people is so great, he sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters and said, hurry, get out of the place because the Lord's about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men took him by the hand and his hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop, anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, 
No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes. You've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Angel said to him, very well, I'll grant you this request. I'll not overthrow the town you're speaking of, but flee there quickly, for I cannot do anything until you reach it. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and then the Lord God rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord of the heavens. Then he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and all he saw was dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities, where Lot had chosen to live. Take a deep breath. It's a lot to digest. And right now I'm questioning, who is the idiot that put Genesis 19 on the preaching calendar? One week after coming back from Israel with so much jet lag, I can barely even see through the fog. And then I remembered that I'm in charge of the preaching calendar, so I have no one to blame but me. (laughs) Let me tell you what this story is not. God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah is not a commercial for open theism. Open theism is a belief that somehow we can persuade God to do life our way. Open theism thinks that if I just try hard enough or whine enough or beg enough that God all of a sudden is going to go, wow, Grant, your idea is actually better than my will. Let's go with your plan. Here's the bottom line. As Pastor Lem said last week, God's way is still the best way even when it hurts and his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts because he's God and we're not. God's working another plan in the judgment of these cities, but it makes us uncomfortable. Let me tell you what else this story is not. It's not a statement on geographical retribution theory. Big words today. Some people look at the story and go, here's the takeaway. God judges evil cities and pounds them for fun. Wrong conclusion. But we get caught up in it a little bit, didn't we? When Hurricane Katrina shredded New Orleans, I heard people say, this is God's judgment on an evil city. I got a question for you. What city isn't evil? And if anybody says Linden, I'm going to like, I live there, I can say that. Evil is pervasive in every single city. And if you believe that God punishes indiscriminately that way for that purpose, I'm going to tell you something. You need to move. You need to move. You live on the golden corridor of human trafficking between Vancouver, British Columbia, and Los Angeles, California. Washington State has the highest level of recreational drug use in the nation. Our state is the fourth least church state in the union. So if you grab a hold of retribution theory, it means this. After God is done with the heathens of Oregon, Idaho, and Vermont, guess who he's coming after next? That's not the point. One more piece, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not a condemnation of a particular sin, but a commentary on the cost of all sin. People use this story to focus on homosexuality. I've heard entire sermons based on that approach. 
And before you misunderstand me, let me say something that I have been saying consistently for 18 years in this church. The only place where God blesses sexual expression is in a covenant marriage between a man and a woman that is not politically correct, but it's biblical and true. Many preachers have used this story to go after a particular sin, but I want to tell you something. After we walk through this today, I think you're going to find that we're all going to find ourselves in this story somewhere. We all have something that we're working on. So if you could do me a favor, as we walk through this, if you could keep your eye on your own soul today, I think that would be helpful. If you do it, I'll do it too. People struggle with this story. They say, I can't believe God would judge an entire city based on sin. Sometimes you hear this question in another way. I can't believe a loving God would send people to hell. And when I get that question, I always respond the way, this way. Have you ever considered the lengths that the God of heaven went to to keep you from judgment and an eternity without him? I mean, the same God that you condemn for having standards went so far, the extreme great lengths to sacrifice his own son so you didn't have to deal with hell and judgment. I only have one word for that. I call it love. So let's just dive in because time is flying. I read the entirety of Genesis chapter 19 to you, and I'm going to come back to the power of a few words. We're going to walk through some phrases today because I think we all have something to learn. Let's start with Genesis 18, 20. And their sin was so grievous. That's what scripture says. Now, before we start pointing fingers at them, I want you to understand something. All sin, mine and yours, grieves God and breaks his heart. All sin. Lying, gluttony, gossip, apathy, sins of omission, sins of commission, every single one of those sins that we all participate in, they grieve God and they deserve punishment. Here's a true statement. People don't like it, but it's true. God has standards and evil doesn't go unpunished. And if I left it there, this would be a very bleak Sunday morning. But here's another phrase that I think is actually beautiful. Genesis 18:32 says, "But for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it." Here's what's crazy about that. God knew there wasn't even 10. In the beginning of Genesis, we ran into the Noah story. Boy, we learned there was so much more to that story than a Sunday school lesson about a guy with a boat, a beard and a bird, right? That story includes global annihilation where humankind is removed and we don't like talking about it, but the Bible describes humanity at that moment as perpetually evil all of the time. And we struggle with the fact that God would have limits. And as we struggle with that, we overlook something over and over and over again. Even though humankind was perpetually evil, God saved eight. God saved eight. No one deserved mercy. But in God's saving eight, we learn something. God has compassion. In this case, he's going to save four. And I'm going to tell you something. They are anything but righteous. Genesis 19.1 starts to get personal. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. The gateway of the city was fascinating. What would happen is they would open the doors of the city. Merchants would come in. It was kind of the place where they would vet people to make sure that they were safe. And so they would check people out before they locked the gates of the city because you didn't want bad people inside of the gate of the city. It was just a little too scary. So Lot has set himself up. Even though he was called to be separate and righteous, Lot set up residency in Sodom. He got too close. 
took up residency in a place that he knew was evil. According to Genesis 14, oh, Lot had, Lot had a ranch outside of town, but he had a vacation home right in the middle of an evil town. He became a gatekeeper to a broken world. I think we learned something to that proximity to evil. It'll draw you like a magnet. It's part of the human condition. And none of us apart from Jesus is strong enough to resist. It's a slippery slope. We don't even realize we're getting there. In fact, we often ask the question, how in the world did I get here? That's why the Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Lot is sitting in the full counsel of knowledge because of the conversation. He comes to them and says, you guys, I wouldn't stay in the city square. I think you better come to my house. Do you know why Lot's saying that? Because he knows what happens to people who stay in the city square in Sodom. Listen to this next verse, Genesis 19, 3, but he insisted, you really need to come home with me and this is not going to go well for you. How did he know? He'd seen it. He'd seen it. Where do you think the outcry against this city actually came from? I'll tell you where it came from, from former victims. That's where it came from. Lot was subtly complicit. He got too close, and we can all learn that. Subtle complicity corrupts the entire soul. It's just a matter of time. So Lot takes them home, and this is what happens. It's heartbreaking. It says, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom. You should underline some of those words. All the men from every part of the city of Sodom. Here's the heartbreaking ones. Both young and old surrounded the house both young and old. This is so tragic for so many reasons. The violence, the broken sexual hunger, the victimization, the pain, and all of those words are so unbelievably troubling. For me, I just got stuck on the words young and old. The Hebrew word for young used in this text means anyone under the age of 12. What's that saying to us? It's saying this, sin is epidemic, it's viral, and it's often learned. Young boys are supposed to learn how to play baseball from their dads. They're supposed to learn how to do life from their dad. What's being taught here? Sexual brokenness. What are they learning? They're learning it's okay to, to engage in this kind of activity. They're learning that even if you don't engage, it's okay to watch. We've got a word for that in our society too. Before we judge them, we call it porn. I'm not participating, I'm just watching Before we judge anybody else, maybe we need to look at our own life. Parents, I got a question. What are you teaching your kids about holiness and purity? What sexual picture am I teaching my kids based on my own choices? Let's keep going. You guys are really quiet this morning. <laughs> what does Lot say to them? Genesis 19, 7. No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. I circled that, put a question mark beside it. Your friends? Your friends? He's not separated at all. He's not set apart. He's not different. He's on the slippery slope with them. And he pleads with them, don't do this evil thing. But nobody listens to him. You know why? Because there's too much Sodom in Lot. I have to ask myself the question, is there too much of this world in Grant? If you don't believe me that there's too much Sodom in Lot, I want you to listen to what he offers them. And yes, this should make your stomach twist. Genesis 19.8, look, I got two daughters. Are you kidding me? 
Forget the guys inside. I got two girls. And you can do whatever you want to to them. In case you're wondering, in Genesis 19, there's no hero. There's just a bunch of broken people. There's so much sin to go around that there's a truth that I think we better deal with. Evil's a slippery slope, and when you make peace with evil, it has long-term consequences for you and for your kids. If you don't believe me, if you read the end of Genesis 19, these girls that he offered up, at the end of the chapter, they end up getting their dad drunk. They commit incest with him. And the children that they have out of that illicit relationship end up becoming a thorn in the side of Israel for the rest of existence. It's brutal. And some of you are just like, Grant, can we leave the Old Testament behind? Can we go back to Jesus stuff, please? We'll get there. Where did they learn to do that with their dad? I'll tell you where they learned it from. They learned it from their father. Because in this moment in Genesis 19, their dad communicates something to them. You don't have any value. You're not cherished. You're not protected. So let me talk to the dads in the room for just a second. If God blesses you with a baby girl, your job is to teach her that she was God's daughter before she was your daughter and that she's worthy of love, honor, respect, and protection. It's your job. Do it. Now, let me lay something on top of that. And if God blesses you with a son, your job is to teach your boy how to teach one of God's girls. And I'm going to say something. Don't mess with God's daughters. Listen to their response, Genesis 19. Get out of our way. Get out of the way, Lot. You have nothing to say to us. Move aside or we'll do worse to you. I'll tell you what, it's really hard to argue that Lot was an influencer in this group of people. He had no influence at all. You know why? Because too much proximity undermines influence. The Bible says you can be in the world but not of the world. The Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus, there should be a difference in the way you walk, the way you talk, what you watch, the way you work, and the way you act. There should be a difference. I'll tell you what, if I was God in this story, I would have burned Lot to a crisp in Sodom. But that's not what happens. Listen to what happens. The angels say this to him, Genesis 19, 15. Hurry, take your wife and your daughters or you'll be swept away when the city's punished. I only can take one conclusion from that. God is merciful to undeserving people. Anybody else glad for that today? (laughs) Anybody else glad for God's compassion But look at what happens in the face of that great mercy. God says, I'm going to give you a way out. What are the next words? It says, when he hesitated. Just give me a second, God. I've got to think this through. I actually kind of like the city. It's kind of nice for me. This depravity is actually working for me. So if I could just have a minute before I surrender, just give me a thing. Let me think about this. God's way, my way, escape, mm, fire and brimstone. I'm, I'm not sure. It says, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand, led them safely, for the Lord was merciful to them. One conclusion, God is merciful even in the face of stupidity. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then God comes up with this great plan. Lot, you got to go. You need to flee. Don't look back. Don't stop. That's a good plan for leaving evil behind. When you already know what's on your television after 11 o'clock at night, run, don't look back, don't stop. 
When you know what's three clicks away on your computer, flee, don't look back, don't stop. When you know what's waiting for you, when you go back to that old group of friends, run, don't look back, don't stop. When you're tempted to go back to that old sin because it's just comfortable for you, run, don't look back, don't stop. That's just good Bible right there. But you know what's crazy? That's not what Lot does. You know what Lot does? Lot negotiates. Appreciate the out, God, but could, could we work this thing out? I know you told me to go to the mountains. I'd actually like to go to this little small city on the side. It kind of sounds like this in our modern world. God, I'll trade you something. I'll trade you one hour for surfing porn, for seven chapters of Bible reading, and an hour on Sunday morning. God tells him to run. Lot negotiates. Where do you think he learned that from in Genesis 18? Uncle Abe. Genesis 19, 20. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it's small. As if that makes any difference. It's small. God, I want to leave my old life behind. I just don't want to run too far away in case I want to go back to it. You know, this is a common question that I believe we all grapple with. How close can I stay to sin without losing God's mercy? Can I get my toes right up on the edge of that old life? That's a tough question because what are we really saying? We're saying, I want to be set apart, but not too far apart. I want to follow Jesus, but not to the point where somebody notices. I want to do God's will, but not when it's inconvenient or hard. No, I want the perks of following Jesus. I love the life insurance policy, but I want to do it my way under my conditions with my strings attached. And finally, God's had enough. Genesis 19, 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, and these two cities lived up to their name. Sodom means the burnt place. Gomorrah means a buried, ruined heap. And it's bleak, and it's hard, and some of you are wondering, why in the world did I come to church today? And I want to remind you of something. The whole council of Scripture has something beautiful to say. God will give you beauty for your ashes. He makes an exchange. If you give me the worst of you, I will turn it into something beautiful. But you're going to have to follow me. Does God judge a city? Yes, he does. Does he save four undeserving people? Yes, and it quickly drops to three. So if you haven't been able to find yourself in this story anywhere, maybe you can find yourself here. Genesis 19, 26. But Lot's wife looked back. So she's fleeing for her life, but instead of running completely into God's mercy, she looks back. She wanted her old life and her old stuff. It had a grip on her heart. I got a question for you. How about you? Oh, I have decided to follow Jesus, Grant. But all this stuff is really, really, really attractive. So I'm going to focus on it, even though Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Question, does your stuff have such a grip on your heart? The truth is, you really want it more than you want God's mercy? I put it this way in your outline. She wanted what she had more than what God wanted for her life. Listen to Jesus talk about her in Luke chapter 17. He said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I got a question for you. I got a question for me. How much of this world actually has a hold on me? One more phrase. 
Genesis 19, 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Where did Lot learn to negotiate? Which, by the way, doesn't work. He learned it from his uncle Abraham. That's the ugly side of their relationship. But I think there's also a beautiful side to this relationship. I got a question for you. If you're following Jesus now, while you were living in Sodom, who was the person who prayed you out of there? For me, it was my grandma and my mom. So I'm going to tell you something. If you are a prodigal and a rebel today and you have a grandma praying for you, give up now. She'll win and you will be miserable until you finally get your head straight and come back to Jesus. I promise you. A righteous prayer can save lives. Don't give up, grandma. Don't give up, mom. Come on, dad. Come on, grandpa. Keep praying. Sodom doesn't have to own your kids and your grandkids. Okay. We're almost done. There's so many lessons here. We could spend weeks in this. If you had another hour, I'd just keep going. But okay, nobody said keep going. Let's go. Okay, all right, fine. That's fine. Yeah, all right. Couple of things. You'll stay. Thanks, buddy. You're my man, it's awesome. Let's just recap some things. There's no human hero in this story, so let's not try and find one. Let's not forget God saves undeserving people, stupid people who think they know better than God does. That's mercy, that's compassion. I love the fact that God has limits. I need a God who has limits. I need a God who loves me but has enough justice in him to put those two things together. Because I can tell you something. Love without justice is just enabling. You need them both. I have, to, I, I have to look at the lessons here. Am I turning back to what I know, even though I know it's going to leave me empty? Or am I actually willing to follow Jesus when he says, come on, Grant, flee. Don't look back. Don't stop. I've got to ask myself a question. Am I an influencer? Or am I just another one of the people who sit in the city gate of Bellingham and Whatcom County and allows themselves to be influenced when God says, no, you need to be different? So church, I'm going to give you some homework in the last 90 seconds. There's an old song that we sing around here. We're not going to sing it this morning. I'm praying that you're going to sing it in your head, in your heart, and in your car on your way home. Because I don't know how else you can read Genesis 19 and not come to a conclusion as a follower of Jesus. May you sing this all week. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No matter if it's politically incorrect. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. So today as you go, may that roll around in your heart, in your head, and in your soul. 
May you live differently for the sake of love. May you have the same grace, mercy, and compassion on the people around you that God had for you. If you haven't noticed, we don't duck hard parts of the Bible around here. It's a little scary and uncomfortable sometimes. I think this story is in the Bible for a reason. My prayer is that as a church, we will learn its lessons and live as Jesus would want us to live this week. If you need prayer for anything after the service, there'll be a team up front. I wish I could give you all a hug before you go. (laughs) But I'll trust that the Holy Spirit of God will do that as we deal with Jesus on a really, really, really tough topic. God bless you. Have a great weekend. I'll see you here next week, I hope. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.